Hello, Matt Ward here from the Developing Your Football World podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing coach mentoring and education. And fortunately for everyone listening, it's not just going to be me going on about it. I'm fortunate enough to have with me today to be joined by a panel of guests, uh, which include the following. Rob Williams, who's the current head of coach development at Shrewsbury Town. Academy coach from PCT Coaching Martin Irving. PhD researcher from University of Portsmouth, Laura Grubb, the director of Human Code Football Consultancy, Balvinder Shekhan, and youth coach at South Gloucestershire Football Development, Aaron Tyler. Thank you all for joining me today on this uh, really exciting, interesting episode coming up. And I just want to go straight into it, basically, starting uh, with yourself, Rob. Uh, can you just go through a, a quick overview of your, your experiences as a mentor? And I know you've been uh, uh, doing some tutoring in your roles as well. And your experiences as them, uh, the effects it's kind of had on the people you was working with and just your general thoughts about it. Uh, will do, yeah. Firstly, morning, obviously, to everyone on the panel. And I see a few familiar faces, Martin, and uh, I hope everyone's well. Um, yeah, so I've been... Um, I've been in the current role for 12 months, uh, but prior to that in the same role at another professional football club. So I've been head of coaching, head of coach development um, in the pro game for just over three years. Prior to that, I held a various number of roles in terms of lecturing and tutoring and mentoring and whatever else. And I've been a, I've been a tutor of FA coach education courses for about, I think about 20 years, something like that. Um, primarily level ones, level twos. And obviously was part of the, the mentor program um, from the, the pilot year through to when it has recently uh, changed or will change into, into whatever the new mentoring program might look like. So I've been around it for a little while. Um, I think the potential impact can be massive. Um, I think it will vary from individual to individual depending on who you're working with and the environment they're in and the setting they're in and what they need and want from it. Um, and personally, you know, through through our roles, we have mentors through the Premier League, so I get to experience mentoring sort of on a personal level as well. So, I think the potential impact is huge. Um, I think the impact of the coach mentor program and, and coach education over the last seven eight years um, has been has been big. I think one of the challenges would be measuring that. Um, it, it's sometimes difficult to sort of quantify whether there's been improvement or not improvement. But I do generally believe that over the last six, seven, eight years, however long it's been since mentoring and, and so on has been in place, that grassroots coaching has improved uh, and the experience for grassroots players has improved. Um, and I wonder where that might go if things change drastically moving forward. So, so Rob, on, on some of the positives there, you've actually seen through the time you've been doing it, actual improvement in the coaches and the, and the players they've coached as well. I think I think so without a doubt. I think if you if you go and generally go and see a lot of grassroots coaching now, I think you see a what I would deem to be a higher level of coaching than you would have seen ten years ago, eight years ago. Um, I'm fairly certain that's the case. Um, listen, I think if you if you really want to know whether the impact of a mentor has been um, a good one for the person or the mentee then you need to speak to those people that are being mentored because they'd, they'd give you a, a true reflection of, of the value they've got from it but I think from just being around it over the last number of years I think there's definitely been improvement and, and the quality of coaching uh, certainly at grassroots level has been, has been better 
Uh, and I'm a parent, and I'm a parent of a son who plays grassroots football. Um, and I can see over the time he's played that, that the experience has been has definitely improved, and the quality of what he's got from the coaches has been better. And, I, and I, I, again, I would I would maybe just wonder where it's going to go moving forward because that would be a, an interesting perhaps chat for later on. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. And uh, Bavinda, what about yourself, mate? You, you've been mentoring for a, a few years. And uh, what are some of the positives you've experienced, both for yourself, but any positives from the coaches you've been working with as well? Yeah, look, I think the positive for me is the personal sort of growth, actually, because I think everyone I see some familiar faces, by the way, but uh, on the circuit. But I think with our own journeys, we spend sort of so much time sort of, you know, getting our own experiences in. But for me, it was quite enriching in terms of when I go out, that actually it brings me back to the process because the, where we, where I first started in grassroots and we all of us did. And I think it helped me to um, actually really, really sort of um, have an idea of what a challenges grassroots coaches have, because, I'll give you an example. This week, my wife's been away and I've had both kids. I've got a three-year-old, actually a three-year-old boy, and I've got a five-year-old daughter. So, um, and in the morning, it's 100 miles an hour. So then I've got, I've actually really appreciate what the car coaches have challenges on. You know, they go to work, they've got their own families, then they have to put a session on for an hour before, before I had my kids. I didn't really get it. So um, it's been really enlightening for me in relation to actually, like Rob said, the coaching, the, the coaching environments that their clubs are creating are really, really good now. Um, and for us, it's a skill of actually where where do we pitch, where do we pitch our support at? And uh, but I found it brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's one of the best programs I've been part of. Um, and it's nice to it's nice to see clubs actually grow their clubs and retain the players they've got within the environment. Um, and also, you know. The, the intrigue that causes some intrigue around, around the parent coach to actually, do you know what? We want to get better. We want to actually move on. So I think the impact of the programme, when it first started as a pilot and it had gone on, it's gone, it's scaled up. You know, it's, it was getting there. And it's a shame. I'm not sure we'll come on to it. It's a shame that they have to, um, the FA have to now dilute it a little bit and, and maybe shrink it. And I think part of that, as Rob mentioned, is that had you measure mentoring so in a business context you know if you're looking at a, a corporate business you know there's there's commissions and targets for every quarter and all business managers will have a mentor because there's a there's a common theme that we they want to hit a number at the end of the quarter end of the financial year so everyone's going to help each other so in the context of football how do you how do you measure mentoring so it'd be interesting to see what what other people think of it but I, I think it was great. I, I think it was great, and hopefully they'll bring it back in a, in a, in a, I suppose, a package up way again, and, and maybe target specific, uh, specific audience with it, and see if we can actually get that that data metrics of how effective coaching is and mentoring is. Just by talking about it briefly, there, mate, you you seem really passionate and energized about it. What it was, so. How, how how's the disappointment you feel now that it, it isn't there right now, or it's not possibly going to be there for a while, or maybe not in the future again? You know, I, I think lockdowns. I've had a bit of a twelve-month sabbatical from the game, actually, um, and lockdowns probably extended it more than I wanted. And, and I think because of COVID, etc., you think about it and you think really reflect on actually what part of your your journey you really loved. 
so yeah, it is gutting. It is gutting. And uh, fortunately, I think a lot of people in the panel is we still got good relationships with clubs. Um, you know, the, the clubs that invited us in and and um, um, and sort of opened them, set their clubs up into in terms of the world of mentoring. So it hasn't totally gone, but we just haven't got we just haven't got a, a national governing body really backing it at the moment. Um, but it depends again on relationships and how people have forged relationships, which is a, a natural ingredient of mentoring. So yeah, I'm a little bit gutted because it's nice to have the FA back in it, but I'm sure they'll they'll package it up and rebrand it um, and refocus it, and um, but on a smaller scale. Aaron, thanks for coming on, mate. Thank you for your time. What what's been your your standout experiences through your your mentoring? time and, and how have you enjoyed it and any any positives you've taken from it or you've seen as well well I'm a, I'm a relatively new mentor so I only started last season um, so I only got to experience it unfortunately from September through till till lockdown basically in March um, and I mean just for one second putting aside how I hopefully I helped others selfishly it was amazing for me for my development it, um, it's so rare that you can go and watch training sessions, sit back and think, okay, I can see the situation that this coach has got right now. What would I do if I was in that situation? The coach is there and he's having, or she's having to uh, look after, let's say 16, 18 players, um, all on different, maybe different abilities, all doing different things, different priorities. And then on, on the fly, they've got to maybe change their session plan. What they worked, what they planned isn't working and they've got to do something else. And they've only got an hour and they want to make the most of it. And they've also planned this session on the back of looking after a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a job and traffic, etc. And so I've been there, so I know how they feel. But for the luxury of a mentor to sit back and go, right, I'm going to try and step in and help that coach now. What would I do? It, it, I mean, it's been, it was amazing. It helped my coaching so much, um, personally. So on a selfish perspective, I'm, I'm absolutely gutted that I'm no longer mentoring through the FA. Um, the standouts for me where there were a couple of coaches, first two coaches I worked with actually um, were midway through or they'd got to the end of their level two and they hadn't quite sort of met the metrics that the, the, the tutors wanted to see to sign them off. And they said, can you just give them a hand? Um, and I went out to see them and, and it was clear they knew what they needed to know. And it was just delivery. That's all it was. It was just, it was just getting all of the knowledge in their head out onto the pitch. Um, and so it wasn't, it, it wasn't a huge amount of sort of, magic wand waving that I did it was some very simple questioning or what is it what's your topic what would you like to achieve okay have you considered maybe a b or c and they've gone oh yeah that's that's all I want to do and then it was just like I said I was a new new mentor so I was learning my way as well and it was just just giving them some that that second perspective which you don't get as a coach um I always said to myself that I never knew whether I was a, a good, bad or indifferent coach because you're only ever amongst your own environment unless you're lucky enough to be working, say, at Shrewsbury. And I was a coach there and I could go to Rob and say, Rob, am I good, bad or, or indifferent? And he could tell me. If you're on your own in a grassroots setup, you're usually on your own or if you're lucky enough, you might be an assistant coach. And so you don't know where you're at. To have a mentor to come in and firstly, most of the time, just tell you that you're actually doing a really good job because mo most of these grassroots coaches are, they're all there for the right reasons. And then just some pointers to get that even better. I think the value is huge. Um, I was lucky enough to have a mentor as well. And um, simple, it's just the simple things. It's not rocket science. It's just, I actually sent a, a session plan to him the other day and just said, 
what am I missing? And he came back with like two lines on WhatsApp and it was just exactly what I needed just to adapt the session slightly and it worked perfectly. Um, I'm, I'm really pleased that those two guys that I first worked with passed the level two shortly afterwards. Um, uh, and and that's, the, that's the big pluses. And it's just, there's so many passionate people in the grassroots game, or across all football, but particularly in grassroots that we, we were helping that I hope can continue to find help somewhere else really. Um, and selfishly, I'm, I'm missing it already, like I said. Good, good to see it from both sides of being a mentor and having been mentored you, yourself. So, uh, yeah, double double whammy there. Uh, Laura, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, pleasure to meet you. And uh, busy person as a, a researcher, also as a, a former mentor. Uh, any experiences you can share with us from, from positive views from what you've seen, either people you've mentored or anything what's been positive for yourself? Yeah, thank, thank you for having me today. Um, it's the first podcast I've done, so it's great to be on it and hearing from other mentors as well. Um, I think for myself, when I came into being an FA coach mentor, my remit was on women's football. Um, so working with female coaches or coaches within the female game um, and Wildcats as well, so helping the, the younger ones get involved. Um, and I, th I think a big thing for me was being able to support other people within the girls, the girls game. Um, I think there's big differences between boys football and girls football, whether that's just like the gender differences um, and the way that they learn is slightly different as well. So to be able to put that input into other coaches to help them understand the differences, to give the kids the best possible start within football. Um, I think we all know that girls start playing football potentially later than boys. So they're at different levels at different ages. So whereas a boy might start playing football very early on, a girl might start playing later. Um, and they're doing those basic skills at say like the age of 10, 11, 12. So I think by mentoring, I've had the chance then to help other coaches understand those differences, to almost slow it down and say, don't, don't rush the learning process, just give them a chance to, to learn at the, their own pace. Um, and almost telling coaches that that's okay, that it doesn't matter if, if the girls aren't the best footballers at, at, at a decent age, they're going to learn in their own time. Um, so it's been like a, a real privilege, I think, to be able to go and help help those sorts of coaches. Um, and also to help promote female coaches in, within the game. I think sometimes they're, they're not as confident as male, maybe the male coaches. Um, so to be able to give them a, a chance to, to talk through their issues and any barriers that they faced, um, knowing that I've probably been through them myself already. So, like for example, going on a FA Level 1, I might be only, the only female coach on that course, um, which could be daunting for some other female coaches. So... For me, it was, it was more given the chance to females within the game to give them that confidence. And I think mentoring was a really, really good way of doing that. Um, and some of the research I've been working on recently is looking at the experiences of female coaches, particularly uh, BANE female coaches. Um, and a lot of time they said that they either haven't had a mentor or they don't have a role model that looks like them or sounds like them or have been through those experiences that they're going through. So I think the mentoring program could add real value to um, those coaches by diversifying their workforce to ensure that there's people that look like every type of coach so that they've got that role model to look up to. And what we found is that some of those coaches accidentally became mentors um, and, and they're saying they've now got that responsibility to help the younger coaches coming through because they're the only ones that did it. So I think the mentoring programme adds real value to our grassroots coaches um, and it's something that it's a huge shame that it's gone in, in the format it was and hopefully they bring it back in some way soon. So that 
from what you were saying there, Laura, to totally correct. And that, that, that would be a huge positive, not of a past positive, but a potential future positive would be the consistency of mentors bringing through other mentors. And it just mm. continues from there, uh, where everything now is kind of self-sufficient and explanatory, and it just continues. Uh, so great, great insight there. And uh, Martin, just moving on to uh, you now, mate. Good to, good to see you and, and chat to you again. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. And uh, so I just want to move on now. Uh, I'm not going to ask you the, the kind of positives of, of mentoring because we, we pretty much covered it with everyone else now. So uh, sorry to, to switch it on you, but what have we lost? What value do you feel we've lost now from losing the kind of official pathway of, of mentoring itself. Yeah. So I think we're going to lose that, that human value, um, you know, from, from what's being seen, if, if the level one in this, this matchmaker is going to be going online, who, who are they going to bounce ideas off? You know, and, and I'm not saying other coaches in their club can't do that, but guys and girls who have been placed in a role to, to check and challenge and, to, to support that and, and ultimately guide them has now been lost through that on a, that official program. My my concern here would be the legacy that we always spoke about. You know, we, we wanted to leave a legacy once we'd left. What are those coaches that we've supported going to do to support other coaches? And, and who do they turn to if they're unsure? Who... <laughs> Who would you turn to now if you if you needed ad ad advice or, or support now? If 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 you had no contacts, if you didn't have a network, and you've now got no specific person, who what what would you do now? And how would you feel about doing it? And if you couldn't find anyone or anything, you know what what's your next option? It, I, I could probably speak from both sides here that I'm very fortunate that I've got some great mentors myself. One of them being in in, in this chat and supporting me quite, you know, quite a lot over the last few years. Now, before the sort of mentoring program and I got myself a mentor, I had to go out and find it. I had to go and just ask and message people. And, you know, you're probably seeing as being busy for, you know, constantly contacting someone and, you know, with the fast paced life of, of the industry, people might not want to reply, but you have to go out and get experience and, and you know what? It's lonely. A, a, a grassroots coach, it's lonely for, for some of them because a lot of them are parents themselves who get stick from other parents who've all got an opinion. And, and having those, you know, 10, 11 opinions can, can really throw you off what you want to try and achieve. So it, it, it's going to be tough. If you've not got that network, my, my advice would be go and get one. You know, go and speak to other coaches. Watch other coaches. You know, we're not, we're not closed off anymore. Of, you know, you can't see this session because this might show how we play. Or, you know, there's a lot of people sharing. So go out, speak to people, reach out. Don't be afraid of asking what you might see as silly questions or, um, you know, daft questions because we were all there. I, I've been there. I've asked daft questions. I'm sure. I'm sure Rob can probably back that up at some point. Um, <laughs> you know, if it's a daft question, you, what, you'll one get or two. <laughs> yeah, I, I go more than one or two. <laughs> it's it's tough, and you know, who who do these grass coaches who've been thrust into the game turn to? 
I, I don't know about the other the other members, but a lot of the stuff I had from from the mentoring sort of scheme was I don't know what I'm doing, and 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 I found that they did know what they were doing. They just needed that reassurance of <coughs> doing it. Um, yeah, it's tough. Aaron, Aaron on on to you, mate. Um, well, I was just going to say that um, people have started reaching out already. Um, so um, over the, it was only a short period of time that I was a mentor, but I was the lead female game mentor for Gloucestershire. Um, so there was a group of, I think it was 25 off the top of my head, um, coaches in the female game. So both male and female coaches, all coaching girls or women. Um, and I've had quite a few of them already message me and say, well, what's happening in our programme shop? Who do I turn to? Can you still help me? Um, and which is really pleasing to hear but I guess it's about I've, I've seen quite a few people and I'm thinking of doing it myself to starting to do things independently but it'd be nice if there was still that community and that network because not one person can help everyone and there, there can be different people requiring different support and no one mentor could ever say I've got the skill set to help everyone with all of their needs so it'd be great if there were a network to help these people who go, well, I, I don't have experience of working. Let's say goalkeepers, for example, but I know a great goalkeeping coach mentor that can help you. Um, or it's, I've got more experience working with the, in the youth development phase, I'm not so great on foundation, but so-and-so is, is your person to go to for mentoring in the foundation phase. And we still we still need that, I think. Um, but, you're, but as Martin was saying, hopefully people will network. It's just a real shame that there isn't, just a straightforward network. I mean, I saw Pete Sturgis just do a tweet earlier on today. I'm sure everyone knows who Pete Sturgis is, the um, foundation lead for the FA, and he's trying to create something to replace Hive. And Hive was a place where people just shared questions and had comments and uh, through the FA and just wanted to get ideas. And there needs to be something. And at the very least, I think it's the responsibility of the FA to at least create the either the technology or the tools for that network to exist and for people. I mean, we. Coaches are naturally quite, I know, we, I think we're, as a group, we're very, we're, the good ones will share and want to be part of community anyway, and we'll do that through Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. But it would be nice to know if you're a brand new coach that you could just go here. Just go here, fire out your questions, say who you are, where you're from, and, and someone somewhere will definitely come and help you. Rob, you was going to add something uh, after Martin was talking. It was just a, just a couple of, I think, I think Martin and, and Aaron made a couple of great points. I think the legacy thing is really interesting. So, for sure, there's a couple of clubs that I've probably spent quite a lot of time with who would now have what you might call internal mentors. So, there's mentoring occurring as a, you know, there's two or three coaches who've been in the club for a long time. And when they start the new under sevens and they get mum and dad to coach those teams, they are supporting those coaches in those clubs. So I think there's probably some internal mentoring occurring in some of the clubs who've maybe had um, someone um, from the, through the, the coach mentor program going in supporting to put that stuff in place. Um, those that maybe have had less access to mentoring or support through the coach mentor program that may not be occurring naturally. And I think one of the obvious things that, that kind of goes on in grassroots clubs is, you know. Everyone's on, they're all 100 miles an hour, they've all got jobs, they're all doing their thing and they come and coach and you know, they do their best and the vast majority do, do a really good job. And um, Just those coaching conversations don't really happen. And so some of the things that like we used to, 
to do in a number of clubs I worked with was just sort of, you know, coaching was on the bottom of the list for the managers meeting after they'd talked about fines and they hadn't paid their subs and all that club running type stuff. And by the time they'd done that, there was barely any time left for a conversation about coaching. And so at times it was just getting coaches in a room and just talking about coaching and what it looks like, which didn't really go on. And I think, you know, grassroots coaches, Martin talks about it being quite a lonely place. I think they kind of just work in silos, don't they? So they're all under the same banner. They all work for whatever club it is. But actually they just get on with their own thing and they're all doing their own thing and it's not very joined up and they don't probably speak to the under-11s coach if they're the under-9s coach for, for, for longer than a hello and a goodbye as they walk on and off a pitch. So just getting people talking about coaching I think was really important. And, and sometimes it needs somebody to come in from outside of your club or organisation to kind of just make people recognise that that's important. So they might miss that, I guess. Um, but I think some clubs will be doing it and will still do it because they've been exposed to that coach mentor programme for a period of time and they were doing it anyway. So I think it's, um, I think the legacy thing is really important um, and, and some clubs will have it and others, others maybe won't. And I also think Aaron then makes a great point about, you know, I know there's lots of mentors who've been putting stuff out and, and clubs have been contacting them. And I think the nature of people or the people that are, you know, were involved in the programme, they will probably still help clubs just because they're not wearing an FA tracksuit top and getting paid by the FA to do it, I think that stuff will still be going on anyway. So, you know, it might not be as, as often and as regular and whatever else, but I still think people will be reaching out and, and so on. And we all know we've been involved in the game long enough, I'm sure. You know, network is really important. You know, we've all probably got a fairly broad network of people that we can go to if we need to pick someone's brains or have a moan or whatever it might be. And, you know, grassroots coaches, you know, if you're the new under sevens dad taking over the team, you don't have that network probably, other than a few other dads that you know and, you know, you might need a bit of help from elsewhere. So I think, you know, that that, that network piece that we probably would have helped with or could have helped with when we were mentoring maybe will be more of a challenge for them moving forward. Yeah, make, make sense, Rob, makes sense. And uh, Aaron, uh, Rob, Rob touched on it uh, again, but going back to what you said, Aaron, and... Uh, yeah, they could be, you know, it's not a bad thing that people who you was mentoring before are still reaching out. You know, it's nice to help people. Always great. And hopefully the good people in football always have a, a bit of time. But they can be, now looking from the pessimistic side of it, they can be uh, too much of something. So like you kind of alluded to, not, not fully, but, you know, what happens if then you get a, a, a large amount of people then coming to you? And then where's the kind of point between your own time and, and yourself, uh, your, your own professional development, as opposed to sharing it out for the others to continue really a role which you're no longer in, like you, you are in because you choose to be, but not officially anymore. And, and the foundation is no longer there in the community. So it is certainly it can or may or could be a, a, a task in uh, job to try and maintain just to do the the right thing. Uh, Bavinda, just on to you, mate. Have you you got something to add? Yeah, I'm just. Um, I think in general, really, uh, the FA have, have always had some bright minds. Uh, strategy comes about every four to five years, and I want to pick up the point of trust. So, um, I've only time I've really spent loads of my time is in grassroots club is is actually through the mentoring program. 
um, when, I, when I first started coaching. But always just to hear about the word trust. So the new initiative comes about. I mean, I was part of the skills program when it started in 2007, you know. And, uh, and the people on the ground level have to work so hard to get buy-in from the local, from local communities. Um, the initiative from the FA have always been well-resourced, whether it's through corporate funding, or whether it's from Tesco, whether it's in Sport England. But it probably takes, and you know, it's always taken me a longer period. Maybe it's my fault by skill set, but it takes a bit of time to build this rapport and trust with these grassroots clubs because they're almost businesses in their own right, you know. And for have to, regardless whether you've got three lions on or whether you're part of a pro club, it's build getting that buy-in. Now, I think for all of us, all the mentors, since it's been going on, they've had a, such a done a great job of getting buy-in and building trust. All of a sudden initiative gets pulled so now it's going to be packaged up with something else now we've got to start again and building that rapport because the guys that we've already been working with they've already been converted if you like you know so we always spend time preaching the converted right great well what about what about the new coaches what about the new clubs that haven't been that haven't been sort of part of the mentoring program so the key thing is is that i think a big message here from not just from me but i think the people who i speak to is like look this is great. FA bring all the initiatives out. It's all frilly, marketing, promotion, brilliant. But actually, then is it going to be pulled again in three years' time? And for us on ground level, it's difficult to actually, because we're that's way above our pay scale. But we're the, we're on the shop floor. We're ha- we're having to sort of almost sell this program through through you know through our skill set around that. Come on out. Well, that's that. But we're here to make you better. But it becomes more and more of a, a tougher job more of these initiatives get pulled. We all, we always we know that, you know, it's only as strong as the funding's there, you know. But I always find is as soon as the FA have to fund it themselves, it's the first one that gets cold. Maybe uh, maybe this was a grand plan to set everyone off, get everyone excited in, in doing the job, pull it, and then you just gotta crack on uh, with your own initiatives. I, I don't know. I like conspiracies. You, you never know. Save a bit of money. Anyway, Laura, I just want to come quickly on, on to you. And uh, you, you mentioned your experiences with uh, mentoring female coaches. Do you think it's going to have an effect on the female coaches in terms of their confidence and their own development and not really having that person in place uh, in, the, in the setup uh, where they haven't had to go out and find a mentor themselves. Do you think that's going to affect their performance or improvement as a coach? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's so important that if we look at the FA and how much work and money they've put into supporting the female game and increasing the number of female coaches that we have, um, supporting them through their qualifications, we need to look at what support is there for them after. And quite often, female coaches end up with teams either because their their son or daughter's in the team. Um, and they maybe don't have such a big footballing background and they're looking for someone just to give them that, that bit of confidence and, and that bit of support and encouragement. And I think if these, these female coaches are going into a game which is traditionally male-dominated, um, with coaches that may be a bit louder or acting like they're a bit more knowledgeable, then it can massively affect their confidence. And I'll give you an example. I worked with one female coach and she took over the team because her son was in the team. Um, no one else would do it and the team would fold without, without her stepping up. She had no footballing background before. And she had things like her session would be on. She'd be doing her best to keep everyone engaged. And then male coaches would come and take her goalposts during her session because they wanted them. 
I shouldn't have the confidence to then say, actually, I'm only using them for 10 more minutes. Um, so although we think mentoring is just purely about the coaching, it's about creating that environment of, as well where they can be more confident. And just to say that you have got a place in football and you, you do know what you're talking about and don't, don't be daunted by, by other coaches. And I think because sometimes male coaches, they've been in football all their lives, whether that's playing or coaching, and some female coaches are coming in sort of later on in their life, that they need to have that confidence in someone that they can talk to and feel that they can trust. Um, and I think that then passes down, down to the children as well that they're coaching. So I think it's, it's really, really important that they have got a network um, and other people that they can trust. And I think because there's so few female coaches in certain areas. Um, so the area I work in, there's coaches dotted all over the place. There's not like one big cluster. So we need to try and create an environment where they can all speak together and, and, and gain that confidence from there. Yeah, I, I get the I get the feeling uh, again, and it, and it seems to be happening over and over and over again. Where uh, there's this initiative to try and build up the the woman's side of the game, and we're all supportive and we're all for it, and the the men want to be the heroes and take the the plaudits for it, and then it's just being brought back again. So we're building it up, and then we're stripping it back. And rightly, as you said, you know maybe the the confidence isn't there yet. Uh, as for level as, as some of the male coaches, although we want equality and we want them to be treated just as a normal coach, but maybe the confidence or, or the uh, anything else, it's not at the same level yet. And they still need that official capacity to, to give them that little bit of extra confidence, that little bit of extra knowledge or, you know, uh, steering in the right direction. And uh, in a, a official capacity, it's now been unfortunately withdrawn. Aaron. Sorry, do you mind if I jump in there? Sure, um, go for it. I think this is a big risk, actually, um, because, um, yeah, so, so male coaches, um, let's say that they're an unqualified, not even done their level one coach, so they are helping out, usually their, their son or daughter's team, um, are more likely to come from a history of playing than, than we know female coaches are. That's just, as a general rule, more boys played when they're younger than girls. It's certainly 25 years ago, there were very few girls playing football. And just because we've got these dads that feel like they played, well, they have played, they think they know coaching. And playing and coaching and certainly recalling what you were coached 25, 30 years ago is very different to what we should be delivering now. Um, and I think it's a real shame that uh, a female coach that maybe has never played the game but has gone through one or two levels of coaching, has had a mentor and is maybe two or three seasons into coaching, should feel they don't have the confidence to tell a dad who says, well, I played football my whole life, um, how things should be done. And it's a real danger to the children that are coming through now that we go backwards. We go backwards a generation to how it was lots of shouting, lots of male testosterone. Great point. Uh, we're, and we're, men, we're more inclined to be, to look short-term competitive, just the way we are. Um, and I'm going to generalise, there'll be lots of men that are different, but I'm, as a generalisation, we're much more short-term and we'll look at the result on a Saturday or Sunday. And females by nature are much more long-term and they will build the nest and they will nurture players within their care for longer and they'll worry about a result. Again, this is all generalisations because I'd like to think I was more that way as well. But that I think it's a real risk that we've got now that there's no mentoring programme that the first two levels of coach education are all online where you can't interact and see how other people are coaching face-to-face. -face. Uh, and I just think that's something that somehow um, we've, we've got to mitigate against, um, in my personal opinion. I've seen it over the last couple of weeks, that sort of male dominance coming through with 
and they want to do their best, don't get me wrong, they're in it for the right reasons, but they just haven't been educated to modern learning practices and coaching practices, that's all. Great, great points, Aaron. I'll, I'll come on to you uh, in, a, in a sec, Rob. Martin, I just wanted to ask you as a, as a parent, um, if your kids are playing football and, and they've been um, going to trainings with coaches, grassroots level, uh, the coaches have been supported and all of a sudden they're not, have you got a, a view as a, a parent on kind of the, the welfare and, and the direction of, of the environment where, where the environment that was being created by the coaches with that extra mentorship or guidance? Have you now got a different thoughts about it from a parent's point of view? I'd ex first of all, I'd expect the club to do more, the club to offer that sort of infrastructure and support. And, I, and again, I know a lot of them are volunteers, but I, I would expect them to go out and seek that help. I mean, just touching on what uh, a few of the other guests have said is that we weren't just playing a part in, in that coach's development. It was about the players. And, and I think that was certainly in the last 12 to 18 months of the, of the mental programme, that was the focus in terms of developing coaches to develop players. The players were the key point of this. And we, we don't want to now revert away and go back to type. And, and I go back to what Aaron, Aaron was saying of, you know, shouting, berating, kids not enjoying it, practices going back to, you know, you set me, I'll, the coach sets or the coach joining in with the practice. And we want to continue that, that upward, that upward curve that we were getting in terms of creating creative or developing creative, confident young men and women uh, in terms of, of footballers. And do, do I worry that it will be largely dominated by egos and the rest that comes with it in grassroots, I am I am quite worried. And I would find it difficult as a parent if my, my daughter was to go into the game and, and play what she keeps threatening me with um, at six years old. But I'd, I'd be quite worried that I wouldn't, and, and I know we spoke about it previously, Matt, about I wouldn't be able to just accept certain behaviours that, that didn't support the players and those coaches. And... I do think some clubs now need to take a bit of ownership and say, how are we going to support our coaches and ultimately players? Rob, on to you, mate. Yeah, I think, I think there's some really interesting points made. And I think, I think it, it's, it's the nature of the time we're in and, and some of the stuff that's gone on with, with obviously changes to programmes and all the rest due to lockdown and so on. It's quite easy to be really negative about stuff and, you know, worry about what's going on. Listen, I'm, I'm fairly sure there's going to be something, there's going to be some kind of mentoring, I don't know, but whatever it looks like, and none of us really know that yet, there'll, there'll be something, there'll be an initiative that the FA will run to support coaches. One of the challenges was always, you know, having gone through coach education for God knows how many years, you know, you do a course and you leave and then you're left on your own and you just... You know, if you're not careful, everyone falls back into whatever they were doing beforehand, but they've got a qualification, so therefore it ticks a box for the club and chart standard and all that sort of stuff. So I think there'll be something. It clearly won't look the same. They're clearly not going to invest the same amount of money into it as they have done it. So it probably won't be as broad because there ain't going to be 400 mentors around the country doing whatever they're doing. But there's going to be something. Um, and I think that I like to think that the vast majority of parents who are coaching and become coaches will hopefully, if the, if the offer is right, engage in whatever that programme will look like. 
and, and all the clubs will engage in something. You know, the nature of the time we're in, it's just not going to quite look the same. Um, I think I think my a bigger concern for me would be about where coach education goes and the, and the quality of coach education um, in terms of losing that face-to-face contact. Um, but yeah, I think there'll be an onus on parents and clubs and whatever else. And I, I do generally like to think that the vast majority will... If there's a program to engage with, they'll engage with it in some way, shape, or form. It just may not be as much contact as they've had over the last three, four, five years that the program's been in place. And you'll always have, you know, and I don't think this will ever, ever change. You'll always have people who will go through a process of coach education, and then when they leave, they'll go, Yeah, that was great, but I'm just going to get on doing what I'm doing. And it will have limited impact. And no matter how much mentoring is available or coach education is available that's just what they'll do and I think you'll always get that so just leading uh, just for the next five minutes lead on from what you just touched on there Rob that there has to be something in place you know even the FA should be thinking ahead and there's got to be something in place now to go on to and uh, Balvinda I'll, I'll throw this on to you quickly uh, no, no time to kind of get any thoughts together or anything but as a coach, if you had the option of, of which most do at the moment of doing some of the course online or having the face-to-face time, which we previously had uh, in the past, you know, could it be seen as a, a step in the right direction or modernization of the game in a way, coach education or education on a whole is being delivered now by incorporating some online aspect to it? So we're moving slightly away from the mentoring, although, you know, we're now looking at being mentored online through WhatsApp, through Facebook groups, through, through online communities. So it's kind of still uh, attached together with coach education. But can you see any benefits through moving into a, a more online platform of delivery? Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think the timing's been quite good as well by the FA. Um, obviously, we've got a letter through on, via email the other day around the strategy was put together for, for the next four years before before the COVID. I think it's interesting because the people have gone through the mentoring process, the coach ed- education process when you've had uh, in-situ visits, etc. I think what what the, the community has now gone through the last six months, uh, five, six months, is actually being at home. I mean, Zoom's revolutionised my life. I've never used Zoom before, you know? Um, so I spent, you know, all of lockdown during lunchtime with the kids who are having lunch is networking. Um, so I think, I think the timing's been good. I, I don't think, you know, and, and I think with people who are generally interested in the process of coaching and mentoring, they will actually find it easier because they've actually gone online and, and carried on their education. So I think in that respect, yes, but it's, it's how are we going to capture the parents who've got busy lives, have gone back to work is how, where they're going to get that face-to-face connection from. Because the ones that are, are quite savvy on IT or they've got the resources, they'll just, they'll just pick it up. You know, they, they've got the resources and they, they're used to doing stuff online, especially during lockdown. I think it's the ones that, that you know, depend on their learning style, they probably need that face-to-face. You know, you know, they want that reassurance. They want that arm around the shoulder. That's okay. That reassurance that someone's actually observing them for their benefit not because there's a 
subjective success criteria. No, it's not that. So I think you just have to be the ones that wanna, ones that are quite savvy with it, they'll just pick it up anyway. Um, the ones that need expert support, I'm, I'm just concerned that they're gonna slip through the net because they haven't got the access, base access, which um, which they actually crave for and they need really. I'm, I'm worried about that because you might lose some bright minds and some real passionate people from the coaching game um, because they have they feel that they're not getting support again. Now, talk, talking about support, here's just a, an example. It can't be, it's not a 100% accurate example because it's completely different cultures and, and countries. But if I look at China, so China, uh, surprisingly, they're allowed to send their uh, coaches from abroad to the English FA to be coached on courses. Now, uh, they send all the coaches, they pay all the money, they go, they do the English or Scottish uh, pathways. Uh, great, you've got all the, all the tutors, all the workshops, all the mentoring, just like uh, English coaches or British coaches. Then they go back to China and they don't implement one single thing of it because there's no one there to maintain it. There's no one there to oversee it. There's no one there to mentor them. There's no one there to actually care about actually thinking about mentoring them. So we've already touched on it. Are we potentially going to see, uh, are we going to see something where, you know, we are getting lazy because no one's there pushing us to do it. No one's physically checking up, uh, checking up on us. And are we going to get lazy and, and, and start decreasing the quality we're producing and become a little bit too dependent on online sources? Uh, Aaron, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a big risk. And I, um, I mean, you, you use the term lazy and there could be an element of that, but also I think it's just habit. So you could just fall back into your own ways of doing things. Uh, when you get busy, once your fixtures roll in, once you've got training going on, you've got just everything starts to happen. So the I think a lot of competitive grassroots seasons start tomorrow. And so you've been planning for that game, you've been thinking about it, and then you'll be mulling over the result in your head all weekend. And if it's a good one, you're buzzing and you'll go straight out and plan the next session. If it's a bad one, you might think that football's the worst thing that's ever been invented. And, you, and then you sort of have to drag yourself back into it to go and put on your session during the week. And then you might just scribble down your session on the back of a piece of paper, or you might not even do that. Whereas you know that you should give yourself some appropriate planning time. You know that you should give yourself a chance to think through the next few weeks, months, or even the whole season of where we're trying to get to. But it's easy to fall back into bad habits. I, I, won't, I can't imagine I'm the only one on the panel that's done that before, where you just go, oh, we'll do this session. I've done it before. I know it works. But actually, you know you're not giving your best there. You know you could have done more. You know you could have really thought it through. Um, but it, a mentor might say to you, hey, send me a session plan before you go to deliver it. And you're like, oh, now I've got to do that plan two days before so my mentor can see it so he or she can critique it and send it back to me. And it's, it's just that check-in process. It's not that coaches will become bad overnight. It's just a, a process by which you, you can get some, some validation, really, or just to keep you, keep you on, the, on the right lines. Um, so if there's a way that that can be created within the clubs, as Rob suggested, um, or for another another method, I think it's important. And 
good coaches will try and put that process in themselves I think as well they'll, they'll look for someone to keep them on, on, the, on the straight and narrow and hopefully that's within like your club environment but also outside as well. Before we move on now uh, Rob just one last thing from you if you don't mind uh, has this affected your role as a, a head of coaching development uh, at all as it is it going to make your role harder more difficult are you are you just going to be the same um, working with your coaches as normal was it giving an extra kind of uh, an extra hand to you and, and other coaches in the same role as you I think it's um, listen I'll, I'll, my first I feel really bad saying this and I've had this conversation loads of times lockdown has been tremendous I've loved lockdown personally I've loved it um, for, for a number of different reasons and, and luckily we've not been affected by kind of you know what's going on so you know and I know a lot of people have which is probably why I feel bad saying that but but it's also been really good for us as a as, as a as a club and a group of coaches in lots of different ways and um, in one of the ways has been that we've been lucky the club have been really supportive so you know a lot you know for, for the category of academy we are um, we had very few staff furloughed and we continued to work all the way through and we had to become fairly comfortable with zoom and all of the various tools that we use so we were doing stuff with players on zoom and analysis and position meetings and whatever it might be and, and all this and i think from a player perspective you know socially that was tremendous just you know we'd have the under 12 center backs with under 18 center backs and that probably wouldn't have happened in the day-to-day, -day, you know, hamster wheel of, you know, chaos that he's working every day in the game. So I think that was a real positive. We've done, I don't know, 29 or 30 of these sort of online coach development sessions with all our staff. You know, there's no way I would have got 80 plus percent of our part-time coaches together 30 times in four months. So... You know, and the fact we've had new volunteers joining our volunteer programme and stuff and getting, so they know, they know no faces and names. They may not have met in person, but so I generally think there's been some real benefits. I think one of the challenges with the online stuff we've done has been, there's been that much information that they've not had a chance to really see what that looks like on the grass. So, you know, they've got all this stuff that they've been thinking about or challenged about or whatever it might be. And they've just not had a chance to coach now. Thankfully, at the minute, we're back in coaching and that's cool. So we're starting to make that happen. So I actually think there's been some real positives. Um, and, and, and I've really enjoyed it. And it's been great for us as a group, I think, uh, in lots of ways. Um, you know, you miss your grass time, I guess, is, is the big thing. And, you know, thankfully, that's now back a little bit. But um, I, I just think the, 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 the online stuff, it will change what I do for sure. You know, so um, for me to do a one-to-one -one with the coach, you know, we don't have to try and arrange a time for him to get into the club early, pre-session, to sit down for an hour before he's going to coach and all that stuff. We can just have a chat at any point, whether it's on a laptop or on a phone, and, and it's going to make that sort of thing really easy um, and, and engaging with them. We've done stuff with parents. You know, getting all the parents in the room can be a pain. You know, we don't need them in the room anymore. Do you know what I mean? We can do stuff online. But I, I also recognised massively the value of that face-to-face -face time and contact. You know, so I'm out later on with one of our coaches and I'm going to support and observe and work with him as part of that one-to-one that -one process. You can't, you can't lose that um, because actually that's what we do. 
and you can't do it on a laptop or a phone. So I think it, there's a balance somewhere. I'll definitely keep using Zoom and whatever else moving forward in some way, shape or form, just because I think it'll make everyone's life easier. Um, but I think you need the face-to-face -face bit. I think Aaron's right and, and, and Martin's right about, you know, coaches who go through coach education, some will always revert to type. And if they think running up and down big hills is the way forward, they will always make kids run up and down big hills, no matter how much mentoring and stuff is going on. I think that will never change. But I don't think there's any surprise. Come back to the, one of the things I said at the start. I don't think there's any surprise that grassroots coaching, I think, has improved, probably in line with the fact that, you know, coach education's improved, contact time on coach education courses has improved, um, in-situ visits, coach mentor support, and all that stuff that's going on. It probably is no surprise that it's improved. The challenge will then be if, it, if that changes hugely where does it go listen I'm this maybe is a bit of the conversation for me you can't learn to coach online so you can't do a course online and suddenly you're going to go and be a coach you need to see what does it look like how does it feel get some feedback whether that's from whether that's from someone like me or just you know another coach you know for me that's invaluable um, you can't learn to be a coach on a laptop for me Right, Matt, that's okay. Martin? Sorry, Matt, I was just going to add something that, that on from Aaron's, um, and then Rob's just touched on it there. My, my concern now is that during lockdown and all the great content that's been out online is that we're going to see unrealistic practices. And, you know, look, it was before lockdown. So, for example, a coach I worked with was doing third man running at under sevens. Um, you know, with no real context on how he understood it, let alone the players. So I, I agree with what Rob's saying there is that coaching on the grass is different to coaching online. And if you see something online and try and implement it with your under sevens, it's not going to fit. So you, you have to be able to understand your players, understand your practices and understand the coaching, the whole machine that is coaching to be able to get it out to your players and be that good youth developer or, or that good coach. And look, if you're, if you're getting somebody like Rob mentioned there, hill running, if you're, if you're doing unrealistic practices, you know, the diag or whatever it might be with under sevens then, or high pressing, whatever it might be. It's, that's my concern. Are we going to get coaches that now don't put on realistic, relevant practices to their players? That's a, a great consideration to think about. And uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know if anyone's got the answer because we're all different and coaches have got different values and beliefs and behaviours and habits. And I guess time will tell uh, whether we see the results in the products uh, being produced, as in player talent and uh, the maintenance of coach development. But it will be, certainly be interesting. And... Uh, I'm not one for saying I told you so, but I'm sure there's going to be some of that happening. Hopefully not. And I hope that, uh, you know, as, as Rob alluded to, you know, that there is something else to, to take place. So now I'm just going to introduce PhD researcher Rebecca Savick and Dr. Thomas Leader. They've uh, joined us gratefully. They've been listening to the conversation. Uh, it's great to have them both on the show. Much appreciated. And uh, they're just going to have some input on some of the topics we've been discussing. Uh, Tom, if you'd like to start us, if you can, any observations? 
Um, well, hi, everyone, to start with some really interesting um, discussion points, conversations. Um, from my point of view, if people weren't aware, I've been lucky enough to be a, an FA coach mentor for two and a half years, as well as conducting two different pieces of research on the FA coach mentor program over the last four years. So from the research and practical experience, I've seen um, good and, and bad aspects of the program from both mentoring practice, from mentor training. Um, so I've been able to see both sides of, of the coin, so to speak. Um, and a lot of the points raised by everyone here um, have resonated with my own experiences, as well as the experiences of the individuals that I've, I've spoke to um, within my research. So yeah, there's, there's lots of things to touch upon. So I'm, I'm not sure where, where exactly to start, but I think one of the biggest things I think um, was what Bal, Balvinder mentioned probably right at the start was, was to do with measuring the impact of mentoring. And that's something I think is, is very important and, and very interesting to try and delve into quite a lot. Um, so I think one of the biggest issues that we have is with most sort of programs and evaluating um, anything really is that it's often quite numbers driven. So we see more increased number of coaches um, reached results in, in better mentoring or, or means the program is better, which I don't necessarily think is the case. Um, so sometimes what we've had is often, you know, we rely on these numbers or we rely on self-report surveys, people's feedback, but what we really need is more longitudinal research to understand what impact mentoring is having on coaching practice because it's very easy for a coach to say oh I feel more confident I feel this I feel that but if their coaching behaviors or mannerisms are not actually changing then what what is going on there what 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 is the the, the purpose of the mentoring so I think from a research point of view and something myself and Bex are interested in we, we want to see the impact mentoring has because we assume that mentoring is positive. It's something that we, we all, um, you know, believe because mentoring is used in various fields from business, nurse and education. We all think mentoring is positive. But if it's not changing beliefs or perspectives or practices, then what might be the value of it? So I think that's something that we want to try and delve into and understand, yeah, what, what people think the success of mentoring is. So, Tom, that, that's a, a great intro, and, and that's just touching the surface of a, a, a lot of things as well. So, going on, on to uh, what Rob said about having something in place, I mean, it all kind of seems, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of coaches, not just on here, but uh, uh, a lot, a lot of coaches in the community across the UK, uh, England especially, thinking, you know, what the hell's going on? You know, what, what we're going to do? Are we just going to leave it? Have we all just been dumped? And then, you know, is anything going to replace it? So what do you think are the possibilities of it developing into something different? And is, has the foundation of the future already been set in terms of online production and online platform development and learning? So I think one thing that's important to recognize is the fact that the mentoring program or mentoring as a whole was introduced due to the criticisms of formal coach education. So often we'd say, well, coach education is decontextualized. It occurs away from the coaching environment. You meet up at a central venue and you're coaching other coaches. This isn't realistic. So we developed the mentoring program to bring about mentors, coach developers working with coaches in situ in their own environment to help them develop. 
So this is where the growth of mentoring has stemmed from, you know, criticisms of coach education. When we think about what a mentor is or what a mentor should be, well, you'd like to think it's someone who encourages reflection, someone who questions, um, someone who gets, you know, a coach to think about their practice, their beliefs, their philosophies in a different way. Now, if you're asking me whether you can do that online, then I think the answer is yes. If you're asking me whether you can have an individual who's not from football helping a football coach, then again, the answer is yes. And if you're answering, asking me if it could be someone who's not from sport, then again, I'd say the answer is yes. And I think this touches upon a lot of Rebecca's work as well, that actually a mentor doesn't have to be someone from the same sport, from the same, um, you know, from sport as a whole. It could be anyone who's posing questions, getting someone to think about slight things differently. You know, often within mentoring, we assume that, mentoring is is sharing session plans and it's just this information exchange this one-way process well i wouldn't necessarily think that's the case so if i think then mentoring could evolve into something online or which taps upon uh expertise or you know experience of other individuals who are not necessarily from football then i think that is the potential now yes you're going to lose a lot from that on the ground in situ support and of course that's that's what we all want and what we value but I don't necessarily believe that the program or mentoring as a whole within sport or within sports coaching, I, I think it can evolve into something else. So that potential certainly is there. In, in terms of coach education, uh, like, like the Wales FA have been doing with the level ones for, for quite a while now, um, are there any kind of benefits or, or positives uh, to having a, a balanced learning environment, being more online uh, and face-to-face time. I mean, the, the obvious ones being uh, more convenience for the coach. So what are the, what are the give and takes between uh, you know, moving on to online coach development and uh, how it was previously? Yeah, good, good morning, everyone. Um, my name's uh, Rebecca. So um, I'm currently doing my PhD uh, research in this topic on on mentoring, but I've also got my A license, my AYA. Currently a, a student on the LMA, so I've uh, been in football for for a, for a, for a bit now. Um, I think for that, it, this is really new, so it's so important that we acknowledge that online mentoring is new. So in the kind of go-to sports coaching article at the moment, we've got um, Grant Bloom and the Birth, and that is even titled pilot like a pilot e-mentoring intervention program so what we're talking about is really really new um, and some of the kind of positives that they list in there or, or the benefits you've got things like you can record interactions um, it kind of removes some of the the geography challenges around accessing mentors and mentees um, it also opens up um, loads of different methods to communicate online whether we've got uh, email forums uh, social media we can signpost uh, different people uh, to different kind of resources um, it kind of removes some of the personality related challenges that we might have um, with two people working in the, the same kind of space so there's there's a few documented positives the biggest challenge that's coming out of that paper is there's an assumption everyone has technology we know that's not true Do you know when i'm thinking about university now We've just moved online. Some of the students don't have laptops because they can't afford them. So there's this massive assumption there that everyone's got access to it. And there is then a big assumption that everybody knows how to use it. And when we're coming out of our comfort zone and we're trying to use technology, it's often uncomfortable. Um, so I think those are two really big challenges with, with moving online. And for me, it goes back to, 
I was scribbling loads of notes, guys, when, when you guys were talking. It goes back to that one for me that Rob said right at the end. Can we really teach, you know, and educate coaches how to coach online only? I, I don't think we can. Um, I think if we think about Anna and Chris's work on, you know, the, the learning cycle, Tom, and we think about um, a mentee filtering uh, information. So uh, the mentor will, will kind of perhaps advise and guide. Me as the mentee will filter it. Do I agree with it? Do I not agree with it? That's based on my biography, my thoughts, feelings, experiences. Let's say for, for a split second, I agree with it and I take it on board. There's a huge part of the learning cycle there, which is I then need to go and experience it and I need to work out how it works for me, how it feels in situ. Because even if I went and watched Tom deliver a, a fantastic session and I tried to replicate it in the sense of, you know, just like a, a nick it, I can't do it the way he's just done it. I have to work out what it feels like for me on the grass. So how do we create a blended learning approach which encompasses both of those elements it is really really challenging so I guess for me when I think about this move to online and if there is going to be a mentoring program that the FA are going to introduce what evidence are they basing that on because for me the research on that is is really really limited in sport um, at this time yes we can borrow um, key findings from other domains but but for me it's not as easy as that because sport is so contextual it's culturally rich and we kind of want this sense of credibility with our mentors. Um, we want to know, well, what, what have they kind of achieved in the game and, and who are you to, to kind of tell me what to do? There, there is a bit of a sense of that when we're thinking about the, the way that sport operates. Um, so for me, that's quite an interesting component of, of sport contextually as, as well. Um, did you have anything to add on to that, uh, Tom? No, I, I think he... Yeah, hit the, hit the nail on the head with a lot of, and the, the key is that it, it is new. You know, the shift to online as a whole is a new experience for, for everyone. So there are going to be some issues and some, you know, problems and, and hurdles that we need to overcome. But the, the, the possibility and the potential is there. And I think that's the key thing. It's not a direct replicate. It's not a direct replacement for on the ground support. Of course it's not. But is it something which we, you know, could, could manage or or, or grow into then i think the answer is yes so rebecca just just going back to you and uh, talking about something which which laura touched on now can you see uh what what she mentioned regarding female coaches having a a kind of effect on the on the confidence and the way they're developing have you got any thoughts on that, which, which you can share with us? Yeah, so the, the mentoring and coach education overall experience is really gendered. So um, there are numerous, numerous research articles which are focused on female coaches' experiences in coach education on the formal um, FA pathway. Um, and often we feel um, we are silenced, we are suppressed, we are othered subjected to sexist language you know and the most common one that we get is um good morning guys okay well what, i don't fit into that because i'm not a guy do i put my hand up and say oh hold on I'm, I'm not a guy and that's just a tiny tiny little layer of you know and i think we spoke about this before but i describe it as death by a thousand cuts over a 10-year coach education journey where you're constantly subjected to to that kind of um experience so for me, mentoring is a super, super important component for female coaches. 
Um, so that could be novice coaches starting off their journey. It could be, you know, mums wanting to support their daughter's sides all the way up to the top, top levels of women trying to get their A license. Um, uh, you know, and I had my experiences. I was recruited to be part of that uh, program that Hope House set up and, and I was supported um, to get my A license in that, that kind of manner. There's an institutional agenda, um, certainly, which I know the guys touched on, but uh, in order to continue your funding as a, an FA program, you are measured against, you know, the stats, um, the metrices, you know, how many female coaches have got their A this year, uh, and then are you going to get your funding? Um, so I, I definitely think that there is something there that needs to be addressed and mentoring, I think, is a key uh, component to do that. Um, females typically aren't. So if there's a job and there's a guy and a, and a woman and um, we both have the same qualifications, a guy is likely to put his hat in the ring and a female is likely to go, oh, can I do that? Should I do that? Am I ready? And that's kind of grounded um, in, in evidence about, you know, a bit of a lack of confidence. We need to be built up. We need people in our corner supporting us. Um, so for me, I think mentors are really important. And what that looks like could be in a number of different ways. It could be, yes, a, a formal program. If it goes informal, it goes back to what the guys were talking about. How do we build these networks? How do we reach out to people if we're not confident? Who do we go to? Um, but look, we know, uh, so some of my research on developmental networks, the weak ties in your network are the ones that will help you get a job in the future. So people you met on courses, in those soft moments on FA courses where you're having a coffee with a group of people, those are the types of moments that can kind of change your life. It's not all about the formal delivery in, in the classroom, so to speak. So when Laura was talking, I, I kind of can't underplay the importance of female tutors, and, you know, Audrey Cooper and her team at the FA have, in the last five years, really tried to uh, turn the Titanic around, if you like, in that department and, 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 and kind of change the landscape. And um, a good friend of mine, Kelsey Byrne, is, is, you know, for me, I think one of the, the best female coach educators out there. We need more of her. But we need female mentors on the ground, exactly in the way Laura spoke about, that look... Um, lots of different ways so whether that's black south asian um italian we also need um females because and i want to get rid of that kind of stereotype about women being nurturing i think those kind of female male traits are on a spectrum and I, it, we can have guys that are nurturing we can have females who are in you know powerful um so i, I don't believe in that necessarily um but I think what we need are a diverse workforce who can support females, who want to support females, who we can, you know, we've got to get females into boardrooms. We've got to get females into tutor roles. We've got to get females into high profile coaching positions. So there are role models for these women coaches at whatever level um, they're working at so they can look up and see that pathway. That is so important for me. Re Rebecca, thank you for that. And uh, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. And yes, it's because you're a female, because I don't know how it feels. And this is why in any working environment organization, we need different people working inside it. I don't know. I don't know how, how it feels or, or how, how I should be thinking or what it means. So do you feel that this is potentially a little step back for female coaches and uh, the female game? 
or will it take some time to recover or can it still be kept at the same level it was developing at uh, uh, previously? Um, for me, I think there's a bit of a pause just right now. So there's a pause on this, but you know, we don't really know what perhaps Audrey's group of staff are working on. We don't know if there is another initiative on their way, which perhaps is been designed in a bespoke manner to identify perhaps some of these challenges, which are so well evidenced now in, in, in the academic um, research. We know what the challenges are. We know how it makes females feel. We know the language. We know the power dynamics. We, there's so much now. And Lavoie came out with a special edition on this and, and just is calling for action. There's so many calls to action for these big governing bodies in sport now to tailor make interventions for females. And I hate the word and I apologize, Laura, because I know you feel the same. B-A-M-E, that word needs to go. Like, who's that for? Is it, you know, white people come up with that to other everyone else? That's what I've learned through my research. That's how these female coaches feel. Like, when I'm ticking a box on these um, inclusion, you know, documents, well, sometimes it, there's not even a box for me to tick. Do you know? It, I, I can't work out. It, BAME is so lazy. Just need to drop it out and we need to start again from scratch. What are the challenges? Let's actually listen to what they are and then let's design tailor-made mentoring or coach education interventions to support people um, in a bespoke way. Because I think we've got the knowledge, we've got the expertise um, and for me, you know, the FA in many ways want to be seen as the leading organisation tackling some of these difficult um, challenges. Um, and look, Audrey and, and that group of staff are really, really committed to doing so. I think we just want to see it happening a bit quicker. Do you know, if we're a bit impatient, we you know want females to be better supported now. And it's, it's, a, it's a really long process, really. And also I challenge the clubs, what can you do? So look, I'm at Watford Boys Academy. We've got two female coaches coaching on the grass in our academy. Name another academy in the country that got two female staff coaching. Then we've got um, sports scientists and we've got medics and, and therapists. So overall in the academy setup, you've got the boys are coming into contact with seven or eight female members of staff. So when I go now and I coach the 15s or 16s, well, I coach them when they were 11 and 12. So it's not, they're used to it, you know, but I've been to other training grounds where they've gone, oh, are you the physio? No, I'm the coach. So there's still a cultural element of change that needs to happen for me. Um, in boys academy football so I'll throw that one back yes the FA in pot have a bit of responsibility for developing coaches but every single person in the game has got the same responsibility for developing coaches before we move on Tom have you got anything to add uh, on to what Rebecca's just spoke about no once again I think Rebecca's spoken really passionately there um, drawn upon her own experiences and the research as well and has highlighted a, no a number of of key of key challenges and issues that exist and i do believe that the fa have a responsibility of course but like rebecca said other organizations or any individual involved has a responsibility and mentoring is has the potential to be a tool to to support the progression of, of all coaches you know of all individuals of all people i think that's that's something we need to um, yeah, something we always need to remember. And 
and yeah, I, I think Rebecca spoke yeah brilliantly there. And and Tom, so now we're we're putting on coaches as a whole, female coaches, male coaches. How are we going to know, or perhaps we're not? Or so should I say? Is there going to be a way where we can actually see if uh, the new changes have a difference or have an impact on the way? Uh, coaches perform and the quality of their performance is this um, are we able to track this is it is there going to be any way to actually think you know what this isn't working it's actually it's actually diluting the quality of our coaching and coach education uh, how, how will we know this and and is there any way that we can get to know this in time yes it's a really good question man a really difficult one I think as I alluded to at the start, we've relied so long on, on statistics and data as a means of justifying funding. You know, as, as Rebecca touched upon, programs are evaluated and they have their metrics. They need to hit X, Y, and Z targets. They have their agendas in order to keep the program going. So from an FA coach mental program perspective, oh, have we worked with X number of this demographic, X number of that demographic? Before that as well, we, we tend to rely on the self-report surveys which come out at the end of each season you know as mentors we have to fill them out mentees have to fill them out have i worked with this number of people or has this person said that they are more confident and it's very anecdotal very one-off very self-report there's no real evidence it's just a, a opinion it's speculative and i think when we look at it, things from a research perspective what is the impact of coach education as a whole on on coach learning and development there's a lack of research and again what i touched upon is we need longitudinal work so there's no point maybe having an intervention then talking to someone a week later saying how was that for you oh, oh i'm brilliant oh all of these ideas are great well if three months six months nine months 12 months down the line they're not doing they're doing the same thing they did before then what learning has taken place and obviously learning is a difficult um term a complex term as we well you know what do we measure learning as whether that is just a change in beliefs or perspectives or whether it's a change in behaviors well without the longitudinal data that's the that's what we're lacking at the minute so in terms of of the mentoring program you know what we need to do is record the coaching behaviors or, or look, speak to coaches before mentoring look at what they're doing their, their practice types their use of questioning silence instruction all these different coaching behaviors look at them before during and after a mentoring intervention which needs to take place over time whether that mentoring intervention is face-to-face -face or online it, it, it doesn't really matter but without that longitudinal data we'll never really know what's going on we'll only get a, a partial um perspective on the learning process so that's what we need for any intervention you know we need we need to look at the evidence and we need to explore it over time and we can't rely on snapshot one-off pictures which the coaching research landscape as a whole tends to rely on maybe interviewing or speaking to someone once in an isolated point of time when we need to review it again and again so yeah i, I think that's key matt w whatever the intervention is we need to look at it over time and we can't look at it in isolation. And that's the important thing to remember, you know, a mentoring intervention or attending a coach education course is just one aspect of the whole process of learning to coach, you know, learning to coach starts the first time you kick the ball, 
you know, the first, first time a, a, a player became an athlete and was engaged, they were exposed to coaching. And, you know, throughout their life, they're socialized to different norms and expectations and values and beliefs. Um, so attending a 15, 20, 50 hour coach education course on the face of it is probably unlikely to change the beliefs and practices of someone who's been coaching a certain way for 20, 50, 20 years, 15 years, or been exposed to a view of coaching for that long. So, you know, that's why we we'll to look at it over time and, and, and track the, track the journey, if you like. Rebecca, from what Tom's just said there, who's, role or responsibility would would that be would it be rob's so rob's position in in his club uh, would it come from the top and miss out the middle and and be expected to be pushed out from high up the top from people who may not necessarily really be in a position to be giving the uh, uh, the vision through or will it be will it be run past the, the people in positions such as head of of, of coach education or uh, academy managers to then pass it out across uh, across the board to the other coaches? Uh, good question. I think uh, there's a lot of assumptions in sport. So there's an assumption that if you're, you know, you've got an A-licensed coach, you can be an educator. There's assumption, but who actually teaches you the pedagogical skills that you need to educate people? And then you spend a bit of time as a tutor and then all of a sudden you can be a mentor. Well, again, for me, those pedagogical skill sets are very different. And now we're seeing these transitions of players into technical directors or lecture, you know, all, and people are moving around. But the pedagogical skill sets associated with each of these roles are really, really different. Um, so I think there's a shared responsibility. So for me, I would encourage clubs and organisations to engage more with universities. So there's a whole student workforce who want experience, who have to do research theses every year there are master students there are phd students um universities often offer funded phds in association with clubs now you know there are loads of physical based projects and collaborations going on with clubs and organizations all over the country why can't we start thinking outside the box and setting up uh, say i'm head of coaching at a football club why can't i um reach out to a uni have you got any students who want to research um, or set up a uh, coach education. So one of my master's students has just done an intervention project for um, a county FA uh, educating coaches on the concept of emotional management. It's really quite a complex con concept, but you're basically exploring coaches' behaviours on deepen surface acting, uh, burnout and authenticity of self. So why can't we collaborate a bit more and set up these educational programs between universities and, and the world of football and share and pull understanding and, and resources and, and ideas? Because if there are all of these young researchers who want to collect data, who want to do the, the bit that Tom's talking about over time, who want to map it, who want to give the evidence. And, you know, we live in a world now where we've got the EPPP regulating and wanting this evidence. It just seems like to me like a, a bit of a no-brainer, but I think we've just got to step out of our comfort zone a little bit and try and bring these worlds together because, you know, Tom and I often talk about, you know, we've done a number of papers between us now, maybe on mentoring, maybe, you know, getting up to about 10, 12 perhaps together and, and who reads them? Do you know, like, does anyone in football read what we've written um, to enforce and change and bring about um, 
that kind of impact in practice. And I just think we've got to better work together and find more effective ways to collaborate in order to bring about this meaningful change. So in terms of change, and change is indeed coming because it's already here, do you think that the mentoring uh, initiative has made coaches take things a little bit too much for granted? For example, because I'm, I'm not in England, I, I normally go out myself and proactively search for mentors or people to follow. Now, going back to, to what was previously mentioned by Tom uh, about, you know, you can be in one industry, but have mentors or be a mentor of other industries. Now, what's your view in that? And have coaches been in kind of, I won't say a bubble and it's not their fault, but have they possibly taken things a little bit too much for granted and now made them uh, a little bit lacklustered when it comes to being more proactive themselves to get what they need or where they need to get to? So for me, I've done, um, I did an article with um, Dr. Bill Taylor and, and Ryan Groom, um, and that one just kind of identified the challenges in formal programs. So we've got micropolitics where mentors use knowledge as a shield and don't want to share ideas. We've got institutional agendas and we've got over formal programs. One of the ways to combat those kind of challenges is this idea of multiple mentors. So what multiple mentors gives us for a mentee is we could have somebody supporting us from sport. So it could be it could be football. We then might have somebody supporting us from an invasion tape type kind of so netball or hockey because invasion game principles, there might be some similarities. We might have a strength and conditioning specialist, a psych specialist, but then we might have somebody from outside of sport altogether. So often in mentoring programs now in sport, you might have somebody from nursing or business or education. And when we think about where they fall into place in situ, you've got like the EHOC program. So development of head of coaching, which I'm sure Rob would be on, or you've got um, elite academy manager development programs and, and they pull multiple mentors into those to give a diverse experience, to give different types of supports at different times. And I think one of the, the, the guys did mention, um, I think Aaron did mention when he was talking this idea that he needs to signpost people to different mentors when he himself in context didn't have the answers. So I think practically and some of the research supports this idea of having multiple people that you can go to if we've got multiple people it then begins to alleviate some of the micropolitics so let's say tom and i are going for the same job um but tom's my mentor he probably is not going to share information with me as freely because we're in direct competition with each other for the next job whereas if i go to the person from business or education or, or healthcare they don't care about the world of sport. They care about me. What a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I think just, just building upon what, what Bex was saying, what, um, in some of my, within my PhD thesis, I was really interested in finding out what FA coach mentors actually thought a good mentor was. Mm -hmm. And we had two clear, distinct camps, so to speak, two clear different perspectives on the mentors I spoke to. So you had position one or camp one, which was 
a good mentor or a good FA coach mentor is someone who is a B licensed, A licensed coach and has all this coaching experience. That's what a good mentor is. So we have this perception that elite athletes can be good coaches. And now we have this perspective or perception that if you are a good coach, you'll be a good mentor or coach developer. So what Bex was saying earlier on. So that assumption is no one criticizes it or no one looks at it from that perspective. The other camp was this perspective that actually to be a good mentor, you need to be a certain type of person. So you need to be a good listener, a good question, um, a good questioner, so to speak, you need to encourage people, motivate people, enhance their critical reflection skills. So to be that person, if that's what we believe a good mentor to be, then the football qualifications and experience is redundant, so to speak. So that was quite interesting that in the same program, we have different people who have different perspectives on what a good mentor is, yet they're carrying out the same role. So the experiences of the mentees is going to vary quite significantly because you might assume that those who think a good mentor is a high qualified coach, the emphasis is on exchanging session plans or looking at the technical detail, the tactical detail of, of football, of the game. Whereas for the other people, uh, for the other perspective, where being a good mentor is about being a certain type of person, maybe the mentoring practices, if you like, or experiences will be quite different. Um, but to build upon just Rebecca's point, finally, that sports have their own cultures and, and football, we do have quite a closed culture anyway, where we don't like to venture too far away from the people we know, or we don't like to bring in different perspectives from different sports or outside of sports. And I know, like Rebecca touched upon, there are a number of programs, such as the EHOC program, which are starting to embrace mentors and individuals from different fields. But that term I used earlier, echo chamber, we, we surround ourselves with people who share the same perspectives and beliefs as us because we don't want to be challenged. We don't like people saying what we're doing is wrong or we don't like people telling us to try different things because it takes us out of our comfort zone. So that's the problem. It's a slow change to change the culture of sports. And then when you, when you look at specific organizations and clubs, their cultures again might be quite closed and, and resistant to information from outside. So those are kind of hurdles and barriers that you need to break down first before you can even establish any kind of, um, mentoring relationship or, or intervention. Tom, thank you so much. And, and just before we wrap it up, I just want to, if we can, give an idea of what we can possibly expect uh, from the future program or the future direction of the FA. Um, I don't even know what to call it now. The FA Coach Education and any future potential of bringing back some kind of mentorship program. Uh, Rebecca, if, if you can just start off on that and then we'll hand it over to Tom just to finish off what a, a potential future could like. Could so look like. Think, yeah, so I think just in context of where we are now with COVID, I think sport, generically speaking, is in a period of stabilisation financially. So the first thing is to just make sure that sporting provision can continue over time. And that might form one of those key reasons that this has been cut at this moment in time. But I would like to think in the next year, we might see a move to more online modules. Um, and then once we kind of come out the other side of COVID, I hope we would see more face-to-face -face interaction because I think the blended learning approach for me is the key. Um, we need 
yes, online, but we also need some sort of formal provision because we know people aren't as outgoing as they could be in setting up these informal networks that everybody knows are so, so important to coach development and, and knowledge sharing. Um, but I would like to think we are moving towards the non-negotiable of a more diverse workforce. That has to be the number one for me, a more diverse mentoring coach education um, workforce for the future. Um, so that's my kind of call to action for anyone listening um, uh, to this podcast in terms of they have the ability to bring about change um, is can we get a, a more diverse mentoring or coach education workforce in place in the future uh, with different sets of ideas, different um, skills and expertise to really enhance a bespoke, individualized and contextual coach education experience for, for anyone looking to work up their badges. Rebecca, absolutely. Because what my question would be, if we want X amount of female coaches in the game, X amount of black Asian coaches in the game, well, how many mentors have we got in the game actually being a role model or the inspiration for this to happen? So absolutely spot on, in my opinion, with that. And hopefully that shall happen uh, sooner rather than later. Tom, to, f to finish off, uh, if you'd like to add on anything to that. Yeah, I mean, Rebecca's completely right. Having a more diverse workforce is key. And I think at the minute, a lot of coaches maybe feel like they've been forgotten about. Obviously, we see that the, the programs are stopping, the funding is, is stopping and, and people feel like they're left to their own devices. I think it was Martin who mentioned earlier that being a grassroots coach is quite an isolating experience. And I certainly think it can be. But I would like to think that you know, the national government bodies haven't forgotten about the coaches. We are all in this state of flux at the minute where we need to reconsider and restructure and, and develop new ideas. And I'm sure the FA are working on something at the minute to ensure there is not only a more diverse workforce, but a more accessible means of coach education, whether that's online mentoring, online courses, whatever the case may be. And I'm not just speaking for, for football here, but across all sports as we negotiate the challenges um, that COVID has, has brought about you know, that they're not going to be forgotten about. There are going to be opportunities. And again, you, you mentioned it, Matt, maybe are we becoming more too reliant on programs which are given to us? Maybe we need to be more proactive and look for our own opportunities, um, which is one thing I think maybe individuals can always look to improve. You know, what are their attitudes towards learning? Are they motivated and proactive to ask questions, connect with people on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, whatever it may be. So I'd probably, if I could reassure coaches that programs are going to be there, but in the meantime, there are opportunities for them to consider their own learning priorities, processes, journeys, whatever you want to call it. And maybe they can look to what opportunities there are, there are there as well. Ladies and gents, thank you so much for your time today. It's massively appreciated. Uh, I, I've got a lot about, out of it myself. I'm sure everyone who, who uh, is listening will do also. And uh, yeah, let, let's hope that there's going to be more positives and negatives in the future. I'm sure there will be. There has to be a plan in place and everyone just has to stick together. And selfishly as it may sound, just concentrate on what each of us are doing. And in turn, as a whole, it, it, it can improve. Anything can be made better. 
uh, with everyone else continuing to put the work in. But most of all, thank you for you guys. Thank you for putting the time and effort into uh, researching for one because I'm not sure everyone appreciates the work what goes into actually researching a topic. And without this, then we don't have any knowledge of the topic to actually share with people. So thank you very much uh, for, for, for all of you for this as well. And thank you for our panel guests. Much appreciate for your time again and best wishes for when you go back to your work, if it's today or in the near future. Take care.